everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. Welcome back to RX Rounds. This is an excited episode because we're talking with another clinical psychologist today about stress management. This is Denise Jatan Johnson. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Great. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and some of the things you've done? Okay. So as you said, I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, I've been in practice in both the private and public sectors for just about nine years now um so quite a while yeah oh my gosh looking at you you would never be able to think there you go (laughs) so yeah and right now i'm in private practice primarily at douglas and associates well we're back in trinidad uh last week our clinical psychologist was in uh jamaica Um, But she talked a little bit about the difference between a clinical psychologist, a psychiatrist, and a therapist. So can you clear that up for us today, like exactly what the difference is between those? Yeah, so, uh, and that's a big, big question that I'm always asked. I think when people find out that you're a psychologist, Mm -hmm. that is the first question I ask, I get asked. And really and truly, a psychiatrist is somebody who would have gone through medical school. So they're medically trained doctors who would have gone through additional training in mental health issues. So they understand emotions on a biological level, and they treat emotional dysregulation through the use of medication. So a psychologist has an advanced degree in psychology specifically. Um, They do research or therapy, and their perspective is coming from a scientific base of understanding uh, behaviors, emotions, and thoughts and patterns and all of that. They use all of this information to diagnose mental health issues and determine appropriate treatments based on the clinical diagnosis and their observations. So treatment with a psychologist would look like talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking now about a clinical psychologist, because that's what I am, is there are a whole lot of different fields of psychology. Mm -hmm. There's forensic psychology, educational psychology, the list goes on. But a clinical psychologist, um, we do a more statistical assessment. So we use um, math-based research to be able to diagnose Mm -hmm. and plan treatment with a stronger focus on more serious mental health issues. So that's the difference between the psychiatrist and the psychologist. Now, what about a therapist? Yeah, a therapist is somebody who is... It could include psychiatrists, it could include psychologists, counselors, um, social workers. So therapist is kind of this umbrella term Mm -hmm. of people in mental health profession. So they can come from a bunch of different disciplines and they all have their different approaches in treating with mental health issues. 
Um, so they might look more keenly at a particular issue. So okay. treat more specifically um, anxiety or substance use or those type of things. Um, but their main goal is the same as with a psychologist. It's just psychologists have that advanced specific degree. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for clearing that up for us. Um, so today we're talking a lot about stress management. And I think even if you think you manage your stress well, there's always room for improvement. But what are some of the key indicators that a person might be experiencing stress? Well, stress, it comes at us from all different levels mm -hmm. of life and the way that it looks it affects every aspect of your life as well. So stress has biological indicators. It has cognitive factors that come along with it, emotional things and interpersonal issues. So it really affects your entire space. Yeah. So when we're talking about some of the biological indicators that your stress is going up, you're starting to have digestive issues. Your tummy's doing all kinds of different things that you're not used to. You start getting muscle tension. You get these aches and pains. Your neck is hurting. Your back is hurting. You start getting migraines, headaches, um, that kind of thing. Uh, when you're going into the advanced, you're in the moment stress. Your heart starts pounding. You increase sweats. You're you get more tired than usual or you feel like if you can't sleep or you're sleeping too much or it affects everything, even down to your immunity. So if your stress levels are ongoing and persistent, you might find that you catch colds easier or, you know, you're just immunity Immune is system down. System is depressed. Yeah. Yeah. So even going into some of the cognitive things that start happening to you, you get difficulty keeping your attention every little thing starting to distract you your mind here there and every way thinking about everything that you have to get done you can't quiet your thoughts down you might get a little bit more forgetful than usual uh and your brain just isn't firing in the way that you know is optimal and you know what you could really do so if you start seeing like your work starting to decline you can't think you can't function the way that you normally do then your stress levels are probably high going even more into the emotional side of it you find that you are really worried all the time you can't calm down um you have these anxious type thoughts that keep coming in crying for yeah you get reasons. Mm -hmm, you get more irritable anything that pass you're going to be <laughs> reacting to thinking about like even the way that you're engaging with other people is that you might have less tolerance for things that you used to be okay with. You know, your coworker that you used to be fine with now starting to irritate you. <laughs> um, you're getting angry um, more easily, wow. even along the lines of just losing interest in things that you were really excited about and happy to do in the past. You just have no drive or no want to do things yeah. that... You used to really enjoy um, even coming down to like your interpersonal stuff is you find changes in your libido. Your sex drive goes away or on some sides of it, people, they have the increased sex drive as well. Um, it changes the way you want to interact. You might find that you pull yourself away from family or social activities, different things like that. Some people, they might go and 
always have to be doing something, always on the go, always sensation seeking. You might see risky behaviors um, going up, you know, the erratic driving or drinking too much or different things like that you see going on when your stress levels are really skyrocketing. So we get so many aspects of it. So it's really for you to find out what is kind of causing your stress. Mm -hmm. And that's like the key thing. Mm -hmm. And then acting on that, right? Yeah. The easiest things for people to notice are those biological signs. Okay. Um, Just because it's in your face, you're physically feeling something and seeing a difference. So if you see any of those, then you know that you need to start with your your self-care a little bit better. Wow. So I saw something really interesting um, a few weeks back, um, some statistics about regional suicide rates. And I found that Trinidad and Tobago is the second highest Mm -hmm. uh, suicide rate, second to Guyana, which we have known for a long time. Guyana has a very high suicide rate. Do you think stressors are like the main cause of the increased suicide rates or what what are your Um, thoughts on that? Well, yes, stressors do affect rates of suicide yeah but if you think about it in the global sense the stresses that trinidadians experience aren't special you know everyone in the world experiences stresses and it's about what the question we have to really ask is what is it that's different here versus other spaces regionally that deteriorates people's means of coping or even what has changed because yeah. we weren't second Exactly. Exactly. And one of the biggest, what you're talking about change, one of the big changes that we've seen just culturally is that we've gone from a very community-based society. Mm -hmm. You know, in the past, you knew who your neighbors were. You could expect that they would look out for you if something going on. You could talk to your neighbor if you're having some issues with the kids or, you know, you had that expectation of community. Mm -hmm. But in recent years, Trinidad, especially in even the more urban areas, it's that sense of community is really down. We have really shifted to this very individual based society where you don't necessarily trust your neighbors. You're not looking for them for any kind of support and thing. And that disconnect has really lent to a lot of the rise in the rates, even thinking that, um, the attitudes that people have towards seeking help Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest things you hear this all the time when you start getting stressed out you're having relationship issues you're having things the first thing your friends is going to say is come let's go take a drink let's go lime let's you know it's not let's sit down and talk about it come let me distract you let's go and take a drink by the bar and it's that kind of attitude is not that somebody is wanting to sit down and hear about your problems Mm -hmm. is all right let me distract you let's go and have fun yeah and then even the attitudes and beliefs towards seeking help is like the only people who's going to see psychologists is mad people you know and I've had that comment thrown at me so people in their first session they now realize all right I need help the first thing are not mad eh? So it's like just this expectation that you have to be a certain kind of, you have to have a certain kind of challenge before you actually go and seek help. And that just means that people aren't seeking help when the issue is manageable. 
Right. We see um, this help-seeking behavior when things get chronic, when there is absolutely no no other option. Yeah. So in terms of our kids, you know, children and adolescents, you know, a lot of parents don't realize that they're under a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And I know something that you've talked about a lot is the uh, secondary school entrance exam causing stress on kids. Can you tell us a little bit about some things you found yeah. with that? So, I mean, even before we start talking about like what the exams are doing to the kids, I think as parents, sometimes we forget what it was like to be mm-hmm. a kid ourselves yeah. and the struggles and the challenges that they're going through. Uh, as a parent, you tend to think, hey, I do in everything for you. All you have to do is think about your books and you're good. You don't have to think about what you're eating. You don't have to think about none of those things. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about your clothes or the, you know, adult issues that we tend to get overwhelmed with ourselves. But really, just the struggle of being a child is 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 something. Mm-hmm. Thinking about our younger kids is that they are now learning what emotions are. They now learn and how to manage themselves and what I supposed to do if I disappointed or scared or sad. And they're struggling with this, but we have parents expecting them to be little adults. Yes. You know, we have parents expecting our kids to, you know, suck it up. What are you crying for? That's not nothing to cry about, you know, deal with it. But these are big issues for our younger kids is that, yeah, they might be crying because they want a blue cup and you hand them a yellow cup. <laughs> But for them, it's not about the actual thing. It's learning how to manage that emotion. And that's going up until, you know, you're 10, 11. And thinking about what our adolescents are struggling with, too, is just finding their space in terms of their peers, trying to figure out who am I as a person and individuating from my family. Do I agree with my family? Is this who I am? Am I trying to fit in with my peers? And that peer opinion becomes really important. So thinking that these are just the lifestyle struggles that a typical kid is dealing with, Mm -hmm. we add exams onto that. And we add these exams that are perceived to be life-altering. And these exams that... You know, you're told from as young as like eight, nine years old, the kids start thinking that this SEA exam is going to determine the rest of my life. And that narrative is fed to them from parents, grandparents, teachers, yes, everybody. everybody, even up until now as adults, we have our thinking back as to, you know, our perceptions of different schools, mm-hmm. prestige versus non-prestige and what that really means. Right. When the reality of the situation is no matter what school you go to, is what you do that makes it count. Your Mm -hmm. school isn't going to direct your future. You are not going to be at any kind of disadvantage because you went to this school versus that school. And it's about being able to break that um, that perception Mm -hmm. that is so it's ingrained in our society so, so much Mm -hmm. that this is it for you write this exam and you're 10 years old 10 to 12 years old and this is the expectation that we set up for our kids and just even going beyond that thinking that you know as an adult nobody gonna ask us 
um, how well you're doing that project at work the other day. That doesn't happen. You know, you get evaluated in private and your bosses deal with that. But thinking that now we have these young kids who have this perception of this life altering exam and their names being published in the newspapers and everybody being published in the yeah what (laughs) happened to their privacy what happened to their expectation that you know um not everybody has to know what happened to me it's like and that is the the big big stigma Mm -hmm. that we have with these sea kids and just their perceptions because we have kids who are going through severe anxiety Mm -hmm. they have an all kind of conversion disorders all kind of panic attacks because of this pressure Mm -hmm. of this exam and then even more so when they get into secondary you think okay the subjects that i do determines my life path i have to do x y and z if i want to be a doctor if i don't get into these classes i'm never going to be a doctor i have to and you know that just that perception Mm is completely flawed and that you can get to wherever you need to be no matter what you do in school no matter how you do in this exam if you want something you can work for it and you can get it yeah that's great advice especially for parents to hear you know and you talk about learning how to manage emotion Mm -hmm. how can parents help their kids learn how to manage things that you know they feel like they have no control over Um, I think the first step in parenting is understanding your child Mm -hmm. and you understand your child through talking to them. And it means that you have to sit there and listen when they come home from school. You have to listen to their conversations about every piece of thing that happened today. You might not be interested you mightn't want to hear what um, Julia next to her say in class, or you know, but you have to sit there and listen because when you start listening to the everyday little things, that's when they're going to feel comfortable in coming to you for the big things. And other parts, other advantage to listening to the little things is you really get to know who this little person is, and in knowing, you get to understand when there's a shift. Mm-hmm in their their norm so understanding their baseline gives you a little eye into oh well she's a little bit less talkative today what's going on or you know he rel energetic today he bouncing off the walls what is happening and that is your 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 cue to sit down and ask and talk and actually listen because that's a big thing that we forget to do is uh, you don't listen to kids. Kids don't feel heard. They don't feel understood. Mm -hmm. And that is a first step in helping them to be resilient. When it comes to actually managing the stress, they really model what you do. So how you manage your own stress is how they learn how to manage themselves. So thinking about how do I manage myself? What do I do when I'm angry? What do I do when I'm worried or scared? And trying to model that kind of behavior with them as well, because they are little sponges. And no matter how much you tell them, do X, Y, and Z, they're not going to do X, Y, and Z. They're going to do what they see you doing. So (laughs) that's, that's what it is. Yes. So what are some simple stress management techniques that our listeners can do at home? Um, now, and this is interesting. I'm going to um, 
say something. A lot of people mix up self-care with self-management mm. and self-care with self-soothing. So when we talk about self-care, people always tend to think about, you know, sitting down and drinking a cup of tea or um, doing other spotties, <laughs> getting a mani, taking a yeah. bath and, you know, doing those kind of things. Yeah. Really and truly that, yes, it comes to your physical self-care because you want to look nice too, but it doesn't necessarily go to your emotional self-care. It just kind of soothes you. It makes you feel better. When it comes to that actual self-care, it's just what we were talking about is being, having that insight of being able to realize your own emotions how am I feeling having these little checkups? Because people don't think about how they're feeling as their day is going through. You're just doing what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize the stress as it's building. And uh, until you get these physical stuff that we were talking about before, you get right. these big, big things. But you don't realize the stress as it's building up. And having those little check-ins with yourself. Um, you finish a meeting. How did I feel about that meeting? Am I feeling okay? Am I feeling stressed? And then paying attention to that feeling. So if it is that you do realize that your your stress levels are going up, what now? What do I do? And one of the easiest go-to things, it sounds so cliche, it's over and over said, but paying attention to your breath. And that breathing is one of the first and most immediate scientifically proven ways to calm down. Because as you're getting more and more stressed, your breathing changes. It becomes more shallow. You become a chest breather. You um, start breathing faster. And what scientific evidence is proving more and more is that there is a connection between your heart rate, your breathing rate, and your mental state. Mm -hmm. So if you can slow one down, you can really slow everything else. So you know that if you change your breathing, your heart rate goes down. You could feel it. But what you can't feel is that your brain actually slows down how fast it's firing in certain areas of your brain. So if I slapped an electrode on your head and measured your your neural activity before you started a deep breathing exercise and after, there is almost an immediate shift. So what does it mean when we say deep breathing? People tend to think, okay, well, breathe in, count to 10, breathe out. Yeah, it works, but it's um, there are a lot more effective ways of doing it. One of these amazing techniques that works super fast is uh, they call it the four, seven, eight breathing. Okay. So you breathe in for a count of four, you hold your breath for a count of seven, and you breathe out for a count of eight. And having that slowed breathing pattern, having that out breath extended, slows your heart rate down. And like I was saying, if you can slow your heart rate, you're going to slow your your mental activity as well. The important part about doing these breathing exercises is to pay attention to where their breath is going, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Is that sometimes when people are very stressed out, as I was saying, they breathe from their chest. Your chest is moving as you're breathing in and going down as you're breathing out. But you want to change that up. You want to pay attention to your tummy. You want to, as you're breathing in, fill your stomach so your stomach is rising as you're breathing in and falling gently as you're breathing out. 
And again, that goes a long way in slowing everything down. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's some great advice and something that we can definitely take home and practice and get used to doing it. Even when we're not feeling those stressful situations, it's good to just, you know, take breaths and try to do it as you recommend it. I love that you said that practice it when you don't need it Mm -hmm. because that's exactly it. If it becomes part of your routine, just as I was saying, these self Mm check-ins, do a, a breathing, even if you're not feeling overly worked up because the things that you do when you're calm is the things that you're gonna do when you're getting more and more stressed out. And if you practice it, you don't have to think, well, what it was that lady say in that podcast again? It's like, how long is supposed to be breathing in and out? Is if you practice it, it's already there. You don't have to think back and try to find the podcast and go back and no, it's already there and it's practice. segwaying into our Mythbuster segment so I know this is an exciting one especially in mental health so I'm ready to hear all of the myths and the misconceptions that you have and have heard of in your practice so tell us a little bit about some of those we could talk for like five hours with <laughs> with the myths that exist but the the first and most most common one is just this idea that seeking help is only for mad people right that is the biggest most pervasive thing that mm-hmm. even people who are seeking help tend to think they have to first wow. make sure that you know a good okay and not a mad person <laughs> um so I mean, another big, big one that uh, I see locally is just this understanding that or this belief that mental health issues have a spiritual base and this thought that because it's a spiritual something that I don't need to seek help from a professional for it. I'm going to go seek my um, religious advisors. Wow. And yes, that has its place. People's faith of, is very important. And in some ways, it's very grounding for, for people. Uh, however, if it is that it is a mental health issue, understanding that mental health issues have neurological bases and biological hormonal bases is just, it's something more than just the spiritual base. And that is a big, big barrier to break for a lot of people in terms of help seeking. Uh, I know I've heard of a lot of folks saying, you know, you should just talk to your imam or whatever the case is about what you're going through. But what's the difference really between coming to a psychologist and talking to maybe somebody who is in your religious So there's absolutely nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with going and seeking help from your priest, your pastor, your imam, your pundit. Uh, The difference is, is that a lot of 
religious approaches, it could take the 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 form of social help. So social mm-hmm. aid, if it is that your stressor is socioeconomic issues. Yeah. A lot of our churches are doing amazing jobs in terms of outreach and helping meet people at where they're at in terms of their need. Uh, one of the things that a spiritual leader can't necessarily help with is the more, how to say, the scientific basis of the the challenge. So yes, they can help you. They can offer you support. They can be that listening ear, which goes, people underestimate how, how much listening could help. However, when it comes to looking at the behavioral um, patterns that might be affecting, looking at the biological factors and treating that side of it, uh, that's where some of the things fall short. So any other myths that you want to share with us? Um, Just these beliefs that mental health isn't real, Mm -hmm. is that it's attention seeking or it's in the terms of like we're speaking about before um with adhd it's just a bad child or with depression it's just just snap out of it just just stop thinking about it feel better or anxiety is like being told to calm down is not going to help you with resolve any of your anxiety issues so just really this understanding that mental health issues are all in your head yeah. That is fake. That it's attention seeking, or you know those type of things. I think. Yeah. And something you mentioned earlier that struck me was, you know, your friends would encourage you. Let's just go take a drink and forget about these worries. Yeah. And you know, I think it's something for us to really internalize. Like, how are we managing our stress? Because it's not about just throwing it behind us exactly. and acting like it's not there. It's really about managing emotion, as you mentioned earlier as well. So we need to utilize some of those techniques, like the breathing techniques and whatever may work for you, because I guess each person is different, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just to help you manage your stress on a day-to-day basis or whenever it's absolutely necessary. Psychological well-being is work. Mm It isn't a journey (laughs) that has an end. You don't get to the point where you say, yes, I'm good, I'm healthy. It's a constant work in progress. All of us, no matter where you are in life, socioeconomic, um, any any spaces that you are, is that it's always going to be work. It's yes. not a final destination. And it's about really confronting those challenges and taking them head on as opposed to ignoring them and hoping that it'll solve itself along the way somewhere. Yeah. So I hope that this podcast is helpful for us to open our minds to some of the mental health issues. I know I've seen a lot while I've been here in Trinidad. I saw an ad in front of one of our colleges here talking about mental health is important. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's 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 growing, but I really would love for our older community and some of, some of the younger community to really open their minds to what mental health means mm-hmm. and how we can manage day-to-day stress. So thank you so much, Denise. I really appreciate you being on the show. I think this was a great conversation and I would love to have you back again because I'm sure you have so much to talk about. I'd love to be back. Just give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But please tell our listeners how they can get you, get to you. Okay, so I'm in private practice at Douglas & Associates. You can reach us at 662-0155. 
um, we're located in St. Augustine. There is a Facebook page that you can follow, Douglas and Associates. Yes. And also I have an Instagram handle, uh, TT Psych. So. And I will put all of this information in our comment section so you guys will have access to it. So thank you again, Denise, and I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you for having me. Our inability to manage stress well can often lead to heart palpitations, shortness of breath, chest pain, and other symptoms of a panic attack. While anxiety is the body's natural response to stress, extreme prolonged symptoms can be consistent with anxiety disorders. This clinical pill segment is focused on anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders can be recognized by features of excessive fear or behavioral disturbances. Panic attacks are very common within anxiety, however, they are not limited to anxiety disorders, as they may be involved in some mental disorders as well. An anxiety disorder is diagnosed only when symptoms are not caused by effects of illicit substances or medications. Some anxiety disorders may be classified as Separation anxiety, which is the fearful separation from an attachment figure, for example, parents. Selective mutism, which is failure to speak in social situations where a response is usually expected. Phobias, fear or avoidance of objects or situations. Social anxiety disorder, which is where we're anxious in social situations like a meeting or being around unfamiliar people. Panic disorders, which are recurrent, unexpected panic attacks. And that is usually consistent with being worried or concerned about having a panic attack in the future. There's also agoraphobia, being fearful of two or more of the following. Public transportation, being in open spaces or in closed spaces, standing in line or in a crowd, or just being outside of the home alone. And then there's generalized anxiety, and this is persistent or excessive worry about a variety of things. It could be work, school, home situations, and there are often those physical symptoms that Denise mentioned earlier. Some medications may cause symptoms of anxiety, such as asthma medications like albuterol, mental stability meds like haloperidol or aripiprazole, caffeine, decongestants like pseudofedrin, illicit drugs such as cocaine or heroin, and stimulant medications like Concerta. Because anxiety appears to be caused by a dysregulation of chemicals in the brain, the treatment is geared towards normalizing those levels. For quick, short-term relief of symptoms, a medication class called benzodiazepines are used. Some of these medications in this class are clonazepam, lorazepam, or diazepam, also known as Valium. These medications do not treat the underlying cause of the chemical imbalance associated with anxiety, but they help to relieve symptoms fast. As such, they should not be used for more than one to two weeks because they do not fix the problem. 
There is also a risk of addiction and tolerance when using high doses of this medication, and use for more than 10 days at high doses will require to be tapered off slowly. Tapering off this medication helps prevent against withdrawal symptoms such as headache, nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite, shivers, and things of that nature. Benzodiazepines should be used with caution in elderly individuals because it may increase the risk of falls, confusion, lightheadedness, and dizziness. These medications should be avoided in pregnancy as they may cause some birth defects. And if you are on this medication, you should avoid driving and operating heavy machinery after taking it. For more long-term treatment of anxiety, a class of medication called Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors, or SSRIs, are used. These are known to increase the amount of the chemical serotonin in the blood. Serotonin is associated with mood regulation, and therefore increasing it would cause a more stabilized mood throughout the day. Some SSRIs include Duloxetine or Cymbalta, Fluoxetine, Paroxetine, Sertraline or Surlift, and Venlafaxine. These help regulate the chemicals in the brain, but they may take between four to six weeks to start showing the full effect. It's important to note that these medications may increase the risk of suicidal thoughts or disturbing thoughts, some other side effects like sexual side effects, such as decreased libido or premature ejaculation, and then nausea, dry mouth, or sweating. Some natural products may also help with anxiety. However, they do increase serotonin levels, so they should not be used in combination with anxiety medications such as SSRIs. So that's it for anxiety. For more information on today's guest, Denise Jatan Johnson, please see our website at rxrounds.com. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe. See you next rounds.